Welcome in, everybody, to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris. So glad to be with you this evening to break it all down. And as I said on replay last night, Patriots game in the rear view. It's all about the Denver Broncos with one, I was going about to say minor exception, but actually major exception, and I'll explain what that is in just a second. But we got to move on to the Broncos. So we got plenty of Broncos info tonight. We're going to have our Men Behind the Mic segment with Dave Logan, play-by-play voice of the Denver Broncos, long-time play-by-play voice of the Denver Broncos, and Mark will catch up with him. One of the things I love about Dave Logan is he's also a highly accomplished high school football coach in the state of Colorado, in Denver. He's done it at a few different schools. He actually has a state championship game on Saturday and then going to fly to Houston to be with the team and call the game on Sunday. Fascinating. High school head football coach, play-by-play guy, broadcast. Sounds kind of interesting. <laughs> kind of like it. Then we'll go behind enemy sidelines with DP Sidhu. And this week it's Phil Milani, who is a senior writer for DenverBroncos.com. Knows the Broncos in and out. So we'll learn about the Broncos. We've got our guys Andre Ware going to join us, talk a little bit about what he saw on Sunday for just a little bit, and then start looking ahead to the Broncos. I got my man Clint Sterner joining me, and you cannot miss that. Clint is absolutely fantastic. If you haven't heard him talk quarterbacks, talk offense, talk football, just talk in general, you're missing out. Clint Sterner is absolutely fantastic. And then Texas Bowl is coming up. The Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl is coming up December 27th on a Friday night, SEC versus Big 12. It's coming. And decision time is this weekend. So my man, general manager of Lone Star Sports Entertainment, David Fletcher, going to join me to talk all about the bowl selection process, what teams could be in play for this game, and no Texas and Texas a and will not be here together. It would be fantastic. Not happening. Not going to happen. Too much politics at play for that to happen uh, this bowl season. So uh, we're going to end up with a great matchup because it's SEC and Big 12, two of the best conferences in college football and we'll get that on December 27th, so Fletch is going to join me to talk all about that. Now, so as we set up the show, let's dive into the show with our Hot Reads. Hot Reads brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car and or motorcycle insurance. And I'm going to start with that one item I just mentioned about looking back. Deshaun Watson got the notice this morning. Great news about Deshaun Watson He is named AFC Offensive Player of the Week for the third time. Third time. Now, just to give you a little bit of a background on that accomplishment, looking at, just going back and looking at Texans that have won Player of the Week awards in the same season, I first thought, oh, okay, well, J.J. Watt did it. Well, in 2012, J.J. won it in Week 3 and Week 15. In 2014, he won Defensive uh, Player of the Week in Week 4 and Week 11. In 15, he won it 11-17, but J.J. never won it three times in a season. Deshaun Watson has now done that. He has done it three times in actually 11 weeks. He won it in Week 3. That was out in L.A. When we beat the Chargers, he won it for week five. That was his game against the Atlanta Falcons. 
and he did it for this win over the New England Patriots in Week 13. He recorded the highest passer rating by an opponent against the Patriots since Alex Smith in Week 1 of 2017. That doesn't happen often. He was 18-25 for 234 with that 140.7 rating. The Patriots had given up four passing touchdowns all year. They gave up four on Sunday. Deshaun threw three of them and then caught the other from DeAndre Hopkins. A fantastic, fantastic effort by Deshaun Watson. He is three-time 2019 season AFC Offensive Player of the Week. Congratulations. In fact, as I look at it, that's a first for the Texans. That has never been done. One player winning player of the week three times in any one season. Your man, Deshaun Watson, has done just that. That's fantastic stuff. All right, next hot read, Texans audio jukebox. Here we go. Let's hear from Bill O'Brien. How about that? We start with the head coach of your Houston Texans, and of course, he strode to the podium and and he was asked how Will Fuller changes things for this offense. He adds a dimension to the offense, um, you know, that helps in both phases, like you're saying. I mean, obviously, in the passing game, it's obvious how he helps us. You know, he's a good route runner. He's got great speed. Uh, but then that can help in the running game, depending on how they play the side that he's aligned on. You know, it can help you run the ball over to that side a little bit better. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that having him in the lineup does to, to help the offense. Now, this weekend's going to be a pretty interesting one for two players in particular. One for the Broncos, one for the Texans, because they used to be a Texan and a Bronco. And Kareem Jackson is one of those. He's a guy that we got to know very, very well in his time here in Houston. He is now a starting safety for the Denver Broncos. And Coach talked about what he's seen from the former Texan now playing safety. He's playing well. He's playing safety. He's playing aggressive, good tackler. Uh, he's doing a good job in coverage. He plays in the deep part of the field. He plays down near the box. He's he's uh, he's playing at a really high level. He's playing very well. A guy that has played very well for the Texans is Bradley Roby. He had a tremendous night on Sunday with the pick, had a sack. He covered anybody and everybody, but mainly James White, the dangerous running back out of the backfield. And Coach talked about the impact that Robe has had here for Houston. He's, he's got a lot of a lot of talent, right? He's uh, he's got good speed, uh, good feet. Good ball skills. Uh, the big big thing with Bradley's been health, you know, just making sure that he can be available to the team. That's the big thing. And, and if he stays available to the team, he's healthy, uh, then he can help He can help us. And this defense, led by Bradley Roby, is going to have to face a rookie in only his second start. He's only been active for a couple weeks. He was on injured reserve to start the year, and that's Drew Locke. And Coach talked about what he's seen from the rookie out of Missouri. He played well last week. I mean, he he made good decisions for the team, and he got him into the right plays. You could tell he, he knows who to go to with the ball. He's got Sutton. He's got Fant. Got a lot of good receivers and, you know, tight ends, and then he's got the ability to hand it off to Phillip Lindsay, who's really good, very good back. So um, he's doing a good job. I You know, I think these guys come into the league and they're ready to go. They've been well-trained, and they're ready to go. You heard one of those names that Coach mentioned, Cortland Sutton. I called him a poor man's young man, Julio Jones. That's kind of who I would compare him to, big, physical, fast, does pretty much everything. Here's what stood out to coach. 6'4", 216 pounds. I mean, very good player, um, very physical guy, can run routes. The 50-50 ball is tough to defend with him. He's really good at contested catches. 
So yeah, he's a he's a uh, he's a very difficult challenge for us this week, no doubt. Oh yeah, Cortland Sutton is what I like to call a dude. But the Texans secondary has been up to the task lately, and they should have everybody healthy, which would be really nice to take on a guy like Cortland Sutton. Now, your coach say it's a big challenge. One of the challenges is getting back to running the football, and coach obviously was not pleased with the way the run game performed on Sunday night against the Patriots and said, yeah, there's no doubt. It's got to be better. We, we have to improve in a running game. We're going to work hard on that this week and see if we can get it better. I mean, this is a very challenging team the Broncos to run the ball against, but we, we have to, um, coaches and players alike, we've got to, we've got to coach it, coach it better. And, uh, you know, the players have to work hard to execute it better, but we've, we've got to try to improve in a running game. There's no question. That is one of these aspects. And I actually looked at that because it was about this time last year. I think this is, am I right? Week 14, 14, yeah, four, week 14, the Texans took on the Indianapolis Colts, ran it for less than 90 yards, did not run it exceedingly well, over the last four weeks of the year. They went over 100 against the Jags, but a good portion of that was Deshaun Watson. So running the ball at this time of year is huge. What do they say? Running game and defense travels. And if you got to go on the road to playoffs, that's what you've got to have for sure. So running game, got to pick up. All right, let's get to Deshaun Watson. He went to the podium today to, well, handle a number of different things. And he, of course, was asked about Will Fuller Let's hear what Sean Watson had to say about his buddy at wide receiver and what impact he makes on the offense. You have to respect everything that Will is capable of doing, especially his speed, because that's one of his best traits. And like you said, not just in a pass game, but if you want to include the run game, uh, you know, it pits the DBs and the safeties back a little bit more, you know, for run fits. And so, you know, instead of, you know, gaining, you know, for safety supposed to run fit and, and being that gap, instead of gaining, you know, three yards, you know, the running back's gaining seven. And those four extra yards are big, you know, especially, you know, with this, you know, day and age of football uh, where, you know, defensive fronts are very, very stout in the run game. So it really, you know, opens up a lot of different things. One of the key guys in that offensive front to open things up in the run game is Nick Martin. Signed the extension in the offseason. It's been good to see Nick continue to develop fully healthy this year as the guy, the man in the middle, and I remember talking about this for a number of years up until, um, up until 2017. There was always a different quarterback-center combination. It was Brock with uh, Nick, and then it was Brock with Mance. It was Hoyer with Ben Jones. It was Fitzy with Chris Myers. And finally, the Texans got settled in 2017 on Deshaun Watson and Nick Martin, and that's what it needs to be going forward. And Deshaun spoke about how Nick is such a key part of their offense. If the quarterback and center is don't have that great relationship, then, I mean, it can be a lot of bad things happen for sure because uh, he controls everybody up front. And uh, as he go, I go. And, you know, we're the only two guys that touch the ball every every single play. So we have to be on the same page with the, with the run points, um, the pass protections, uh, seeing it through the same set of eyes. And, you know, teams do different fronts each and – uh, you know, different, you know, disguises where they can, you know, move and things like that. So if he's thinking one thing and I'm thinking one thing, you know, I might be thinking, you know, I'm, I'm you know, picked up and really I'm hot. You know, I can get hit in the back of the head or something like that. So uh, we just got to be on the same page and we continue to work on that. Yeah, we don't need Deshaun getting hit in the back of the head. I think everybody knows that, including Deshaun. We don't need him uh, getting hit in the back of the head. A guy that Deshaun will be facing for the first time 
is the guy that he was in the locker room with, and that is Kareem Jackson. Of course, a big talking point because he was a Texan here for nine seasons, and now he is leading the secondary for the Denver Broncos. And as Sean said, got a lot of respect for that guy. I, I call him the OG, him and J. Joe, but when I first got here, he was a guy that I looked up to, you know, gained a lot of information from, you know, on and off the field. Um, we still communicate and talk and support each other. He's been having a heck of a year. Uh, it's going to be fun to, you know, see what he did because when he was here, you know, he was very physical, made a lot of plays in the passing game, and he was that leader. He was that heart and soul. So you can see, you know, that's what they wanted in Denver for him, and he's been given, you know, everything he had you know, and have, you know, for that defense and for that team. So uh, it's going to be fun to be able to go against them and and compete. Yeah, I'm just hoping that Kareem – I hope they don't meet on the field, if you know what I mean. Kareem can be a ruthless hitter, man. He can bring the funk, and he will not hold back in this game. There's no doubt. Now, when you have a big win like the Texans did on Sunday against the New England Patriots, it's right to ask if there will be any bit of a hangover, if you will, and Deshaun said, nope, not happening. That's, that's not the type of guys we have in that locker room. And then the leadership we have, we, we're not going to allow it. You know, Denver is a great 4-8 and eight team if you want to look at the record, but we don't look at the record. Every team is really good. you got to turn the page and, and be prepared each and every week. You can't have no let-ups because you will get embarrassed. And, uh, you know, we got to come out there, and, you know, just how we prepared last week, we got to prepare the same way and, and try to go out there and make plays. They're going to come in ready to go, and, you know, we got to come ready to go and, and bring a lot of energy. And uh, it's going to be a great, you know, AFC December game. So it's going to be good. Deshaun got his first win as a starter back in 2017, that week two game at Cincinnati on a Thursday night. Drew Locke got his first win last week in a crazy ending against the L.A. Chargers. And Deshaun said, man, it means a lot to get a win in your first start. It builds a lot of confidence within that locker room, within yourself. Um, and that's where it got to start, that confidence with yourself, knowing that you can, can play at this level, you can win at this level, because it's hard to do, especially on a consistent basis. So, um, yeah, I mean, it just changes everything. And, you know, everyone is good spirits. You know, no one likes to lose. And, you know, if you're winning as a young guy, it builds that trust and that, that the camaraderie around the locker room where you can just, you know, continue to, you know, bring guys along with you and, and, and guys are supporting you and things like that. But if you're losing, then, you know, you can have a lot of different egos and a lot of guys turn different ways. And that obviously is what Drew Locke's trying to avoid in Denver with that obvious particular situation there as he starts. He's 1-0 as a starter. The Broncos 4-8 and overall. But 1-0 as a starter, hopefully 1-1 after Sunday. So there you go. That's your Texas Audio Jukebox and your Hot Reads brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on motorcycle and or car insurance. We get back. It's time to talk to our good friend Andre Ware. Gives a few final thoughts on the win over the Patriots. Looking forward to the Broncos and a trip that Andre has taken to New York City. Not this weekend, but next weekend. Why is he doing that? Well, we'll discuss all that next on Texans All Access. Happy Wednesday, everybody. And I know my teachers are all back at work after a long Thanksgiving holiday break. But I got some relief for you. I have some help for you. You want to bring a little Texas football to your classroom? And sign up for Toro's Math Drills, presented by Phillips. Toro's Math Drills is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. It works. I'm telling you, it works. You bring a little Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins into your classroom, third and fourth grade boys are going to be all over that. Third and fourth grade girls, too. 
They love to talk sports. They love to talk about anything different. Bring different. Bring something very intelligently put together like Toro's Math Drills. Brought to you by ConocoPhillips. All right, on Sunday afternoon, I'll have the opportunity to be down on the sidelines with these next two gentlemen in my ear, and that's a good thing. Mark Vandermeer, the voice of the Texans, caught up with our good friend and game analyst, Andre Ware, who's going to be taking a pretty special trip next weekend up to New York City. Take a listen. All right, before we talk about Denver, a little final thought here on what went down Sunday night when the Texans knocked off the Patriots. And even though they didn't clinch anything that night, Andre, what does the win do for this team, in your opinion, moving forward? Well, I think it gives them confidence. I mean, when you have... When you when you win a game like that against one of the, the better franchises in the entire NFL, uh, I think it goes a long way for your confidence. And, and so they're they're going to play with a different swagger, a different uh, in a different manner in which they take the field from now to the end of the season. Uh, having that big time win under their belt, especially with it being on Sunday Night Football. Well, now they have the Denver Broncos here, and I might uh, weave in some Patriots topics into these questions, but. You mentioned it. They'll play maybe differently. So what does that look like here as you play a team that's 4-8 and eight coming into the game on Sunday? What do you think? That's where you're at the highest of highs after beating the Patriots, and then you can't really allow yourself to, uh, to, to be a little bit overconfident uh, with a 4-8 and eight team coming into your building. It's a 4-8 and eight team that's extremely young, a first-year head coach, a rookie quarterback at the helm now, and Drew Locke. So it's easy to you know to kind of get the feeling that this is one we should win and so on and so forth. That's when you actually the concentration level of a team uh, really has to be at its peak and at its best. So uh, don't overlook uh, the Broncos coming in here because obviously they've proven the last couple of weeks that they uh, they can play with just about anyone. Andre, we're joining us. Andre, when you're playing a rookie quarterback, you often say the veteran quarterbacks don't mind being blitzed because they know where it's coming from. They know where to put the football quickly. Right. What about a rookie? Do you want to come after him, bring some extra heat after him? You do if you can hold up on the back end because he's going to find, and that's what he'll be coached up this week, is when you see certain blitzes and you, you, uh, you've got to identify where the blitz is coming from. Try to protect yourself, but then find the matchup that you feel like favors you on that particular play. And all you're looking for is to hit one of them. And so you can't allow explosive plays. And I think that'll be one of the keys to the game for the Texans defensively is to not allow uh, explosives over the top. That's 25 yards or more. And certainly you can't allow big-time big deep scores uh, in the passing game. Otherwise, you, uh, you give a rookie quarterback uh, confidence, and that's why he's in the NFL as well. He's got some talent. He's got some arm strength. Uh, you can't make it easy for him by allowing him to just drop back three quick steps and let the ball fly and have a completion happen on the other end of it. Andre, without Titus Howard at right tackle, do you think the Texans are going to settle on Chris Clark or Rod Johnson or continue to sort of rotate them as they look for the right mix up front? How do you think they handle that moving forward? Well, it looks like it's going to be a rotation until one guy really steps up and, and actually takes the job. That's how it was uh, last week. That's how it was in a, in a prior game when Titus was out. So uh, until somebody just steps up and claims the job, I think it'll be on a rotational basis. 
All right, Andre, around the league here, the Tennessee Titans are a big problem all of a sudden, and they knocked off the Colts in Indy. That was a good win for them. Now they have the Raiders out on the West Coast, and the Raiders have back-to-back lopsided losses. Now one of them is to the Chiefs. What do you think of the Titans at Oakland this weekend? Yeah, I fully expect uh, the Titans to go in there and, and win that football game. They're playing with uh, some swagger now. They're, they're, they're feeling pretty good about themselves, and we both agree that it was consistency at the quarterback position that was really missing uh, from that roster. Canning Hill's got a few, a, a couple of starts, a number of starts under his belt now, and he is playing with tremendous confidence. I think the team is responding as, in a manner in which the Texans are uh, defensively. Their Tennessee's defense is responding the same way because they know that they're going to get rested when they come off the field. Uh, they're being rewarded for their turnovers, and they're turning them in to scores, uh, that's a game I think Tennessee goes in and beats the Raiders. Andre, give me your thoughts on the Chiefs and the Patriots playing in Foxborough. Brady and company didn't look so hot when they were here offensively until the end of the game, of course, but they're back at home now. But the Chiefs have started to get it revved up on offense again. What do you think? Yeah, that's going to be a tough game for New England. Uh, when When you sit and look at how they played and how they looked for, you know, basically three quarters, uh, and then you've got a hot team coming in that uh, can really cause some problems. The thing about it is, uh, and we may, and I mentioned it during the game, we talked about it during the game, that when you play them in a box, which is just you know running into their seven- and eight-man front, that's how they want to play. they got big linebackers and Hightower and, and, and the rest of that core. What they don't want to play is in space with those big linebackers, and they try to keep – base personnel on the field at all times bring exotic blitzes from that base personnel kansas city's got some electricity and fast players that can take certainly take advantage of it uh lashawn mccoy uh, out in space against linebackers the williams kid at running back certainly can make some plays out in space against linebackers so uh that, that that's going to be a tough tough matchup for uh, New England defensively against Kansas City, and they can strike quickly. And so uh, with one of the better young quarterbacks in the entire NFL and Pat Mahomes, that, that's going to be a tough, tough tour. I actually look for New England to drop its second game in a row. The Ravens taking on the Bills, and Buffalo did a good job at Dallas. They've got a really good defense. And the Ravens, look, San Francisco did a nice job on them. I know weather had a lot to do with that, but what do you think is this game is going to be played in Buffalo? Yeah, you know what's impressive? And not until you gave me the opponent for uh, Baltimore this, this week did I really even quickly think about it. They've got to have one of the toughest schedules. Uh, in the entire league, if you just go back and look at who they're playing, when they're facing them, uh, the road schedule, and then here you you, uh, you have Buffalo up next after uh, you played the Texans, you played uh, New England prior weeks before that, you Kansas City game against the Forty Niners, uh, and now up here comes Buffalo, who is a good team right now, kind of controlling their own destiny in terms of a wild card race or in the wild card race. It's a tough schedule, but I expect Baltimore to win that football game, but it's still going to be a hard-fought game for them to win after just going through what they did against San Francisco. All right, college football note here. Oklahoma and Baylor, the rematch this weekend. What do you think? Uh, neutral field. Uh, Baylor seemed to have their number until the fourth quarter, and then they gave up 
what was it, a 25-point lead, 25 unanswered points were scored. If they just score anything, they win the game. Uh, it may be a little bit different. I, I just don't know that Oklahoma is playing their best football right now. It seems, they seem to have hit a, a stumbling block along the way in the latter part of the year. I don't know if that's just you know injuries or what you may call it, but this one, I, I'm going to favor the Bears in it. They, they kind of have the recipe. They know what they need to change. I don't know that Oklahoma changes a whole lot. They say they are. What I've read, that it's an entirely different game and they'll take a different approach to it. But Baylor uh, Baylor seems to have the right ingredients to pull off an upset. So I'm going to go with the Bears. LSU and, o- and Ohio State, are they the two best teams in the country, in your opinion? Yeah, I think there's no doubt. And I think that's the game that we're going to get a chance to watch. Uh, watch the two teams play for the national championship. Uh, they they are both they got a lot of firepower on offense. They both have dynamic playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. It, it is they're clearly head and heels above uh, the rest of the field, in my opinion. But don't sleep on Clemson. Dabo will have his team ready and and they'll play hard. But I just don't think that uh, they're on the level this year with that uh, with those two in Ohio State and LSU. So you're going up to New York next weekend for the Heisman Trophy ceremony, 30th anniversary after you won it in 1989. What's that going to be like for you? I mean, uh, just just going back every year is special and getting a chance to visit with with the guys there and and uh, and just you know the the the, uh, the brotherhood that we have. The ceremony is always great because there's you know this build up to the announcement of who's going to actually win, and and you really nobody knows until it's actually read. Um, that night. So it's always a special evening. New York is always special. So uh, that'll be a good time. All right, Trey. Well, thanks a lot for the time. And we look forward to seeing you on Sunday against Denver here at NRG Stadium. All right, buddy. We'll see you there. I would so want to be on that trip to go to the Heisman Ceremony. Would absolutely love it. Then again, Nashville's one of my favorite trips that we make each and every year. So, uh, and Dre will find his way down. He does it every single Saturday, Sunday when we're on the road. He flies somewhere has a game, flies that night back to wherever we are. It's it's amazing. I don't know how he does it, but he pulls it off each and every week. He's always in that booth come game time, and he will be there this Sunday, next Sunday, and every Sunday after that, or Saturday, depending on when we're playing. That's Andre Ware. All right, coming up next, it's our pal Clint Sterner going to join us and talk about what he saw from the Texans' offense, what he saw from Deshaun Watson, and is Tom Brady the same Tom Brady? Clint will give us his thoughts after the break. Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harrison. It's that time in the show. We do this every single week. We talk to my good friend from Sports Radio 610, former Razorback star quarterback, played for Dallas Cowboys, man knows ball. That's why we have him on. He is Clint Sterner. Clint, how you doing, my man? Man, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Another, another week after a Texans victory. Uh, it makes for a, a, a good week for a man in the, in the talk, uh, you know, sports talk world, my man. So all is well. That is, that's very true. There's definitely a lot to talk about. Clint, I want to ask you a question, and I want to I want you to relate your experience to this that I'm about to ask. The Texans get this big win against the Patriots, and for years, the Patriots had just you know worn them down and found ways to win games, and then they get this win and. I happened to, as I was calling it, I happened to think about this aspect of things. In 1998, you have the situation at Tennessee where you guys play one of the great college football games of all time, but it doesn't go your way. The next year, you play Tennessee, and you sort of get that monkey off your back, if you will, 
by having that great throw at the end to Lucas for the touchdown, you get the win. When you get that win against a team that maybe people didn't think you would beat or you have this monumental win, what's the biggest key about bouncing back or coming back the next week after that win to make sure that you're focused and don't get beat by the next team because you're still thinking about that great win you had when you have such a victory like that? Well, I mean, I think the big thing is is that there's an instant relief. You know, I mean, it's, it's there's so much buildup emotionally that goes into a game like the Texans just played. I mean, Bill O'Brien can avoid the question, but we all know that game meant a little bit more than the, the games before. The New England matchup means a little bit more. Deshaun Watson can be cool, calm, and collected, as he always is. But that game, that opportunity versus Tom Brady was a little bit bigger than the other games leading into it. So that, that uh, call it anxiety if you want to, call it anticipation. Call it, it, it's an emotion that, uh, that's a, a buildup to a game on Saturday or Sunday. And, and when you're able to win, it's an instant relief. If you lose, obviously, um, you know, you, you go back to the drawing board. There's no rest for the weary. You get right back on it. You try to figure out how to win. But when you win, there's an instant relief. And so, you know, I, I think bouncing back from a big victory, obviously there's some, there's some staying grounded. There's some getting back to the grind. Uh, aspects of it man but when it's a game that was that big the relief in itself allows you to go back to work with a little bit extra pep in your step the next day uh two days later uh you want to watch the film you want to get back to work you're more confident and so for me man the the key was just getting back on the horse and rolling you know it it wasn't it was not difficult at all uh in fact I, i think the team was able to build off of it uh, from a sense of confidence and a sense of belonging and knowing you can compete and beat the best of the best. What do you think, Clint, of the way Deshaun Watson played on Sunday? I had heard you talk about Deshaun in the game against Indianapolis, and you talked about you know he was probably a little quicker in that game to get out of the pocket, uh, maybe happier feet in the pocket than you wanted to see. It felt a little different on Sunday. It felt like his recognition was quick. It felt like he was nice and sturdy in the pocket where he needed to be. There was one time when he obviously had to get out of the pocket and throw that ball to Kenny Stills. But overall, what did you see from Deshaun this week that you liked? What are some of the things that you still feel like, okay, he's only his third year, still work in progress. What are the things that he still needs to improve upon? But what did you see Sunday night from him? Well, I, I think it's a, it's a constant effort, right? I mean, it's a constant learning curve. It, it, there's going to be setbacks. And I think Indy was a setback. I think Carolina – Earlier in the year was a setback. Baltimore uh, was a was a little bit of a setback, but there's a lot of good in between, man. And what what you saw Sunday was was to me was a great game plan first and foremost. The plan of attacking the attacking their second, third, and fourth cover guys, whether that's a linebacker or a nickel defender, attacking those particular players uh, on a defense that likes to play a lot of man, attacking those particular players with the tight ends. With Duke Johnson and with Kenny Steeles, I think you could see that was a priority. I think you could see that Deshaun Watson uh, early in the game was seeing things very clearly. He was getting through progressions and and finding the open receiver very quickly. Um, The primary receiver was there a lot, so that helped. Um, But but I I think he had a great game. You know, I mean, I think in the second half he comes out and, and they obviously want to take some shots try to extend the lead a little bit and pad and, and get a little bit of a cushion there. 
for the fourth quarter, and, and they were able to do that. I mean, I, you know he can throw the mid-range game and the deep ball really, really well from an accuracy standpoint. When he sets his feet, he throws the football as accurately and as powerfully as anybody in the game. It's a matter of when he sets his feet. Does he set his feet? Is he is he comfortable? And now sometimes the defense is going to push him off his spot. But when he's comfortable and when he's anchored, boy, he's dangerous and he's lethal. And, and this was a week when early in the game, the game plan was special, man. Get it out of his hand. The primary was there. And then in the second half, they were able to extend that lead with a couple of throws, the one to four that got overturned, the one to steals. And then when they started chipping away with Hopkins, that was some big-time quarterback play there. That, that was processing pre-snap, knowing where you want to go with the football, anchoring down in the pocket and delivering a good, accurate throw, you know, in some critical situations. And so I thought he had a hell of a game. I think it was his most complete game to this point. But it doesn't surprise me, John. Yeah. I mean, he's a guy that he can do that. It's it's about consistency. It's about in a 16-game season, do you do it 14 games or do you do it 10 games? And and that's that's the secret to, to Deshaun Watson's success is making that – turning that 10 or 11-game quality play into 14 or 15. And and that's that's just how good the guy is and how dialed, dialed in he has to be on, on his development. And the guy that has done that for – 20 years is Tom Brady and we talked about it during the breaks of the game watching him in pregame watching him during the game Clint I'm always fascinated to watch Brady and I'm it's great now that I get the opportunity and everybody does when the Texans play the Patriots to see our quarterback Deshaun Watson and watch him and what a joy he is to watch but also to watch Brady because you're watching the the, the greatest quarterback seemingly of all time and I know people after the game, all the Patriots offense, a lot of people want to point the finger at Brady. I trust your quarterback knowledge more than anybody. What did you see from Brady on Sunday? Do you feel like he's lost it or is losing it? Or do you feel like, hey, man, there's really nobody around him to help him? Well, there's definitely nobody around him to help him. I mean, look, all these folks that want to say that Brady's done and Brady's aging and I can see it. Uh, just because he struggles in a game or the offense is struggling this season. Uh, eventually, they've been saying that for about eight years now, eventually somebody's <laughs> going to be right. There's yeah. no doubt about it. But but when it's all said and done, it, it, there is a problem in New England with uh, particularly the pass catchers on that football team. You take Edelman away, and they don't have a difference maker at all. They don't have a guy that can create separation um, in, in versus man-to-man. They don't have a real good grasp on what they want to do versus some of the different zone coverages. Um, and, there, and so much of what Brady has had success with is having one or two guys that can beat a man and then having two or three or even four guys that know the game inside and out the same way that he does, and their chemistry is how they win. And, and so you see they have a real problem outside of Edelman, and, and the Texans, the personnel that the Texans have on the defensive side of football are going to allow them to do some things to teams like New England that, quite frankly, there's just a handful of teams in the league have the ability to do. And so that was a perfect storm for the uh, the uh, Texans defense uh, in a good and a positive way and the perfect storm for Tom Brady and Julian Edelman in the opposite direction. I mean, they've got to find – they have got to find some way – to, to threaten the defense outside of Julian Edelman. And if they don't, it's going to be a short run in the playoffs this year. And I don't think it has anything to do 
with Tom Brady being older than he was a year ago. That guy can still play. He can still win football games the way he's always won football games. The problem is, is he does not have an X factor outside of Edelman, and nobody in this league, young or old, uh, fast or pocket, you know, dual threat or pocket passing guy, you're not going to win if that is your only weapon and your best weapon. Talk with our buddy Clint Sterner from Sports Radio 610. You can hear him every single afternoon, 2 to 6. Clint, staying on that same theme, but flipping the sides of the ball from the Patriots offense to the Texans defense. Of course, going into this game, everybody was worried, okay, you have no J.J. Watt. Ugh, man, you haven't gotten the pressures and the hurries and all that kind of stuff since Watt has been out. But you knew where Tom Brady was going to be. He was going to be in that pocket, and he was rarely going to scramble. And then, of course, he proved everybody wrong, running uh, about 13 yards in about 10 seconds. Um, but it felt like defensively they had a lot of different answers than when they've had when they faced the Patriots before. They had Bradley Roby on James White a lot of the time. They had a good double on Julian Edelman a few key times, uh, including on the Bradley Roby interception where they really took Edelman away with Jonathan Joseph and Brenardrick McKinney. What did you think overall of how the defense played up until it got to be garbage time and Brady was piling up some stats with those final two touchdowns? Well, it's a lot like the offensive side of the football, man. I thought the game plan was phenomenal. I thought the execution was, was phenomenal. And, and more importantly, I thought the adjustments that were made off of their early success was was big time, man. I mean, uh, you know, here's the deal, John, is, is I think, you know, you, they got to get creative up front in how they, how they get pressure. And I thought they did it great with personnel, with dropping Benardrick McKinney into a defensive line position and, and coupling him with, Jacob Martin, Whitney Merciless, and, and Charles Ominahu, when you put those four across there, you got what I refer to as a speed rush across the board. Not a lot of size, but in obvious passing situations, you've got some sure tacklers, you've got some speed that you can both play the run and you can pressure the passer. And so I, I like that package. I like that adjustment up front when they got away from DJ Reader and, and uh, I guess it was Dunny inside. So I like that shakeup. But, man, I tell you what, John, the, the six defensive backs that the Texans can throw out there allows them to be so multiple on the defensive side of the ball that they're going to give offenses fits, man. They can get back. They can play zones. They can play cover two man with four cover guys underneath that are as, as good four. Now, and I know there's no top-end Gilmore. There's no top-end uh, Sherman. There's no top-end corner right now. Um, that proven that that can that can compete with those guys, but four deep they are damn good, and I'll put them up against anybody in the league four deep as far as the four cover guys go when they're healthy. And so when you have the ability to do that, put those four guys across the, the board, and then put Reed and Gibson over the top in a two man situation, and then do anything below that in a man or blitz or any kind of package underneath that. Boy, you've got some you got some weapons, man. I know you don't have JJ Watt. You don't have Jadavian Clowney. You would like to have those caliber guys up front. But if you don't have them, you better have a secondary that's going to allow you to be multiple and bring pressure from different angles, man. And these six DBs that the Texans have, I'm anxious to see them play moving forward because I think the sky's the limit for these guys if they can stay healthy. Well, it's been pretty interesting to watch. There's no question about that. All right, Clint. Let's dive into your college knowledge. This weekend, you got championship weekend, but I want to focus on Georgia 
v. LSU. Jake Fromm and that Georgia offense, and they put some points up against Georgia Tech, but I think you and I could have played quarterback and receiver and scored 30 on Georgia Tech. That's not a very good program. But now it's LSU, and Joe Burrow has been hot all year. They're coming off a 50-7 to win over A&M. Georgia v. LSU. You got LSU's offense against Georgia's defense, which may be one of the better matchups you're going to see unit-wise all year long. How do you see this one coming out in Atlanta with those two teams squaring off? I believe LSU skull drags Georgia. You know, I mean, it's, it's tough to say that about a championship game, and Georgia's a good football team, but when you just talk about the ability to put points on the board, there, there's nobody in this country that's going to doubt LSU's ability to put points on the board. They're, they're averaging up around the 48, 49, maybe even higher than that after last week. They're, they're, and they're doing it convincingly. And so they're going to score points. Jake Fromm, I believe he's missing his number one receiver. Uh, his number two receiver has got, I believe he got in a fight last weekend in the end zone uh, and, and with one of the Georgia Tech players. And I believe he's out for the first half. DeAndre Swift, their, their big-time running back, is, is banged up. Uh, I just don't know that Georgia has enough firepower uh, to, to keep up with LSU's offense. And here's the other thing is I, I think LSU's defense, they've had some they got some young guys playing. They've had some of their veterans and their key players, a couple of them, throughout the season, you know, miss some time here and there for personal reasons or for injury. When they get everybody back healthy, man, LSU is going to be back to – they'll be back to the old-school LSU dominant defense but they'll be much better than what you've seen throughout the season. And so I think as this thing rolls along, man, when you got when you got uh, you know, Jefferson and Chase at receiver, uh, Clyde Edwards uh Hilaire at that little running back they've got reminds me of Andrew uh Andrew Jones and and uh, uh and, and then uh, like a a Sproles type of player, uh man, they're going to be tough to stop and and I just don't see Georgia keeping up with them. There he is, Clint Sterner. You can hear him 2-6 to six on our flagship Sports Radio 610. You can hear him on our post-game show along with my buddy Sean Pendergast. He does a hell of a job. Clint, you're the best man. Appreciate it, brother. We'll talk to you next week. You got it. Be good, brother. Take care. So we put one hour in the books. we got one hour left to go. We're going to kick it off with our men behind the mics. Mark Vandermeer catches up with the play-by-play voice and one of the better high school football coaches in the Denver area, Dave Logan, joins us right here on Texans All Access after the break. The Denver Broncos are coming to town on a Sunday afternoon, and with them will not be their play-by-play voice, Dave Logan. Why? Well, Dave Logan's high school team, Cherry Creek High School, is playing in a state championship game in Denver, or in Colorado, I think it's in Denver, on Saturday evening, or Sunday afternoon, and he's going to have to fly his way to Houston to be ready to go by noon central. Does play-by-play for the Broncos, coaches high school football for one of the better programs in the state of Colorado. He's already won championships, I think, in 2012 and 2014. This guy can double-dip better than anybody throughout the league. So let's meet our man behind the mic with our man behind the mic. That is Mark Vandermeer. He is Dave Logan, Broncos play-by-play man. Dave, welcome back to Houston. As you guys haven't been here for a while, Texans played in Denver last year. How you doing? Hey, Mark. Great to be with you. It's uh, it's it's good to be back in Houston for sure. It's uh, I, I wish the circumstances were a little bit different. Obviously, Houston's playing 
really good football. The Broncos are once again sort of trying to find themselves, but uh, always great to come back. All right, so Dave, tell me what the Broncos are doing well right now this year. I know the record is not at all where you want it to be at 4-8, and eight, but I see a lot of games that have come down to the wire, so there are some good things happening. What are they? Well, I, I think that you you look at this team defensively and you would say they have been a pretty good defense. They certainly have not given up a lot of points. Um, you know, they've been able to stop the run for the most part. You're going to lose Derek Wolf now with that dislocated elbow for the remaining four games of the season. But uh, and, and I also think that uh, from time to time they've they've had a good rushing attack. Uh, not a consistently good running attack, but they have shown signs in in certain games of being able to run the ball. But it's 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 not been enough. They they've not generated enough points. They're they're third worst in the league in terms of scoring. Uh, and in today's football, you've you've got to be able to score. You've got to be able to at times create dynamic plays on offense. And they just with the exception of Cortland Sutton and Philip Lindsay, they just haven't been able to do that on a consistent basis. Well, tell me about Lindsay because here he is having another nice year. What does he bring to the table? I, you know, Mark, I think, and I'm biased in this regard because uh, I went to the University of Colorado and grew up in Denver, same as Philip Lindsay. So I've watched this kid ever since he was probably nine or ten years old play football. I think pound for pound, he may be the toughest player in the league and you know he's whatever he's listed at he's about 180 but he runs like he's about 215 every time he carries the ball some of the things he does just amazes me and I wonder is this the play that he's not going to be able to get back up from but he's a dynamic player he's got very quick feet uh, as I said exceptionally tough uh, runs with great pad level um, and and he and Cortland Sutton really are there to Maine, and maybe even take out the word Maine. They're they're two threats on offense. They're guys that uh, I think are young, emerging stars in this league. The Broncos just need more of a complimentary cast to help those guys out. All right, what about Drew Locke? Start number two coming up this weekend. What do you think? Yeah, I I liked him in the first start. I thought as much as we could tell, I thought he was very composed. Uh, He's got a big arm, nice quick release. Uh, it, it didn't look like it was too big for him, which I think the Broncos were somewhat concerned about. I think that was, there was hesitancy uh, to really put him out there and to give him a shot. Uh, I, and, and that tells me, the club never said it, but that would tell me that, that maybe they didn't think he was mentally quite ready with all the verbiage involved in this particular offensive system. He, him coming from Missouri, and he told me last week that some of his calls were two and three words. And he said that in, in, in some of the Bronco terminology, you use five or six words simply to describe the formation. So it's a lot. It, it's been intensive for him in terms of uh, learning that. But I, I liked what I saw. I, I think, you know, I'm not ready to say that he's going to be the quarterback of the future, but I'm not ready to say he won't. I think it was a good starting point for a really talented young guy. Dave Logan, voice of the Broncos, joining us on Texans Radio. What's it like being around Vic Fangio as a head coach? I remember him here as a defensive coordinator in the early days of the Texans. Yeah, I, I really have enjoyed Vic this year. He's a football guy 24-7. He, he's an old-school football coach. He, he believes in playing good defense. Um, he believes in all the things that I think a lot of coaches believed in you know, 20, 25 years ago. And that's not to say that he... He can't relate to some of these younger guys. But, I mean, this is a guy that, you know, he, he doesn't have many hobbies. 
He's a guy that uh, lives and breathes football. Really smart man. Uh, defensively, he's done a nice job. They've had a number of injuries for sure. They signed Bryce Callahan in the offseason, one of their big free agent acquisitions. He hasn't played it down uh, because of a foot injury. They lose, as I said, Derek Wolf. They lost Bradley Chubb early in the season, who I think is one of the best young pass rushers in the game to a torn ACL. So he's had a compromised set of, uh, of, of defenders. But uh, I, I think Vic's done a nice job given the cast that he inherited. Dave, I know we've talked about this a little bit before, but what the listeners might not know about you is, in addition to being the voice of the Broncos, you coach high school football in Colorado. So tell me where you're at at this stage of the season. Well, uh, we, we, uh, we've made it to the state championship game. That comes up on Saturday. So uh, we're excited about that. We play a really good team uh, in Columbine. Um, I will miss the Broncos charter and – there's no way for me to get to Houston other than to catch a flight to Dallas Saturday night late and then to drive. So uh, I'm warning everybody on the highway, whatever highway that would be, that some sometime late or early mm. Sunday morning at about 2 or 3 in the morning, there will be a car cruising down the highway trying to get to Houston to get set to do the game. But it's, it's been a great run. It's 27 years as a high school head high school coach, and I've really enjoyed it. Well, you're in the Colorado Sports Hall of Fame, which is very cool for a variety of reasons. I mean, I got to imagine that was uh, you had a lot of ground to cover in your acceptance speech with the playing days, the broadcasting, and high school coaching. But tell me, how how is it coaching these kids when you're also so connected with an NFL team and the contrast involved and all that goes into it, Dave? Yeah, it's you know what, Mark. I, this is my 30th year broadcasting the Broncos game, so. I started a little bit before I became a, a head football coach, but what I have found is I tried simply to separate my, my two lives, so to speak. I, I really don't ever talk about with my kids, uh, my playing days, uh, what happens in terms of calling NFL games, because I, I want, you know, I want that interaction to be about them. It's it's their time. My time is has come and gone as a player, and uh, and certainly, you know, it it, it does. However. I think because I'm still very close to the game, it enables me to sort of see whether with my eyes in person or on coaches' tape, it enables me to see some of the things that you might be able to transition into some of the uh, ideas that you implement with your high school kids over the years. But it's, it's, it's been a great, great run. And uh, you know what? It's, it's one of the things that I, I think as we start to get a little bit older, uh, involvement with youth and trying to impact young people, especially young boys, I think is really important. And it also, for me, keeps me young. What have you noticed about the way kids have changed over the span of time that you've been coaching? Are there a lot of differences, or are kids kids? How do you look at that side of things? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's an interesting question. I think, I think kids still want discipline. Uh, to me, kids still want structure. And maybe there's less of that now than there was a quarter of a century ago when I first started coaching high school football. But uh, I think the two biggest things that, that I have sensed that have changed over a long period of time, I mean, social, social media obviously um, has impacted a, a lot of people. And we talk all the time, I do as a head coach to my players, in terms of, listen, you've got to be careful what you post because in 10 years when you're done with your, your college and you're out there in the real world trying to seek employment, everything you post today as a 16-year-old is going to come back, and somebody's going to be looking at that. And that's, that's hard 
for high school kids to sort of wrap their their head around, right? And so, and I think parents' involvement is is different. I, I I do think that I've been blessed to have some pretty good parents over 27 years. But you do find uh, the, the parent that thinks his son should be recruited by USC when he was in in eighth or ninth grade. I mean, that that's just sort of the the world in which we live. I don't like it. I certainly don't like that colleges can offer eight, eight, eighth graders and ninth graders scholarships. Makes absolutely no sense to me in that regard. But you know what, Mark? They never asked me, so that's just the rule. <laughs> well, to your point about the uh, permanency of things, when you and I were kids, they said, that's going on your permanent record. And there was no permanent record, really. That's right. But now that's there right. is, digitally. <laughs> that's exactly right. And, and again, you know, when you're, you you think when you and I, back in the day, 16, 17, we, we did some dumb things, but uh, it, it wasn't chronicled. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it, you know, we, we were able to sort of learn from that. We either got disciplined by our parents or teachers or administrators. You know, nowadays, when kids do those things, unfortunately, it's there, and it's there forever. So I think it's much tougher, honestly, growing up today as a 15 or 16-year-old uh, as compared to what it was 25 years ago. Dave, one more for you. What are people in Denver saying about the Houston Texans heading into this weekend's game? Well, I mean, they, they know that Houston, I mean, they, I think most people here watched uh, the, the Patriots-Texans game over the weekend, and they know, they know that Houston's one of the, I think, one of the emerging teams in the AFC. I mean, Deshaun Watson, I, I love his game. Um, he, he's surrounded with, uh, with good receivers. You know, to me, as a former wide receiver in the league, uh, I look at Hopkins and his ability to catch the ball, and that's the kind of guy that you think back in terms of, and you call the games, Mark, but he reminds me of an old-school guy. Too many, too many times now, because the ball's in the air all the time, you know, players don't value catching the ball when the ball is thrown to you. Catch the ball. But DeAndre Hopkins, at least from my point of view, watching him casually, he reminds me of guys that, you know, back in the day when I played in the 80s, if you got four or five balls thrown to you, you know, you basically give up your soul to make a catch because you weren't going to get another pass thrown Mm. to you if you didn't. He's that guy. So I have great respect for him and, and love how Deshaun Watson is playing too. Excellent points. Dave, thanks so much for joining us. Good luck getting here. Be safe, and we look forward to seeing you here on Sunday. Great to catch up, Mark. That is absolutely fascinating to have a state championship game on Saturday as a head coach and then turn around and call a Broncos game on Sunday. Whew. Quite the life for one Dave Logan. All right, when we return, we are going to go behind enemy sidelines kind of again, but we're going to do it in a different way with D.B. Sidhu, who caught up with Phil Milani from DenverBroncos.com, one of the writers there. He will join us and give us his thoughts on this one on Sunday when we get back. This week's Stats Challenge is brought to you by Schlumberger. Visit HoustonTexans.com today to register to take the Stats Challenge. Today, it's all about passer rating. I mentioned earlier in the show, Deshaun Watson named AFC Offensive Player of the Week. That's the third time that it has happened this year. Threw three touchdowns, caught another, threw for 236, I think, somewhere in that range. He's thrown for more this year. He's thrown for more in losses, actually, this year. But his rating against the Patriots is 140.7. That was the highest rating yielded by the Patriots all year long, and it's not even close. Lamar Jackson was in the hundreds range. The only other time that anybody had been anywhere near the 90 mark. Lamar Jackson went over 100, but Deshaun Watson passer rating 140. 
0.6 against the New England Patriots. That is a stat that I don't know if it'll be topped this year against that defense, but that's how good Deshaun was on Sunday night against the New England Patriots. Okay, it's time to go behind enemy sidelines with D.P. Sidhu. And this week, DenverBroncos.com writer Phil Milani gives his thoughts about what he's seen from the Broncos, Philip Lindsay, what they see in him, and, of course, Vic Fangio is a first-year coach. Both these teams coming off uh, big wins. The Broncos coming off a 23-20 to win to their division rival Chargers. Let's talk about Drew Locke in his debut. Two touchdowns, an interception, no sacks in the win. Uh, what did he do well? Where can he improve? What do you think? Uh, guys were really excited. They were feeding off his energy. Uh, that first drive he went out there, had a little bit of those jitters, but then he settled down. And, you know, I think that everybody was pretty happy with how he played. They kind of minimized the playbook a little bit for him. They let him do what he does well, got outside of the pocket a little bit. And then it helps to have a guy like Cortland Sutton who just goes up and makes these huge catches for him. I know last week Vic Fangio said that both it could be Locke, it could be Brandon Allen. What was the deciding factor in going with Locke over Allen? And, and do you think that this is who the starting quarterback is going to be for the foreseeable future, or, or could we still see some more changes with Denver? No, Locke is going to be the guy. He went out there and he did enough. You know, during the week they wanted to see how Locke practiced. He did well enough. He had command of the huddle. He could uh, do the playbook. You know, those kind of things. So he showed enough during practice. They didn't name a starter until when he ran out there on the field. I mean, so that was a little bit of a strange situation. But they saw enough from him, and he said, hey, you don't need to wait anymore. Next week, Locke is definitely the starter, and I think he's going to be the starter the rest of the way. You mentioned Cortland Sutton. He had those two touchdowns in the win over the Chargers. Uh, What makes him so hard to defend and – how is it that he's able to develop that chemistry so quickly, especially with all the different quarterbacks that you've had under center this year? Yeah, Locke is the third quarterback that they've uh, started this year, so he's cycled through them. But, you know, Sutton, I think he's really taken a big step. This is his second season. You know, we saw some flashes of that as a rookie. The thing that makes him so hard to defend is his size and his stride. I mean, his first couple of steps off the line of scrimmage, he really drives into the, the, the defensive back and then, it gets them off balance a little bit, and then he's been able to make some incredible catches this year. I mean, the touchdown he had on that first drive, that was so big because it let everybody calm down a little bit. Locke kind of settled in after that, and then, um, you know, they, they were off and running. But he's really been able to make these big plays down the field. Last season, he was more of like a 50-50 kind of guy. He'd go up and just, you know, high point the ball. Over the offseason, he said he worked on his route running. His whole route tree is complete now, and he's really been able to play at what I what a lot of people around here think is a Pro Bowl level. Speaking of the Pro Bowl, I saw Philip Lindsay there last year, even though he was out for the season by the time the Pro Bowl run, uh, came around. He was really just setting the world on fire as an undrafted rookie running back last year, and he, it doesn't seem to be slowing down much uh, in his second season, even with all the changes that are going on there in the offense. Where have you seen the most growth from Lindsay this year? Just being able to do it more on a consistent basis. Last year, he would bust a couple of big plays long, you know, down the field. He would he'd catch the ball in open space and then take off. This year, he's really developed his uh, running game a little bit more. He's more patient to let the blocks develop, and then once he sees the hole, he can burst through it. He's so fast. His feet are so quick. And then on top of all of that, he's still got this chip on his shoulder from being an undrafted guy. He just plays with such tenacity and 
he, he just changes when he goes on the field because in the locker room, such a nice guy. Once he steps onto the field, he becomes this other guy, and, you know, he runs hard. Rarely does he just go out of bounds when he's taking one to the sideline. He, he usually puts his foot in the ground and makes you tackle him. So um, he just brings a different energy and attitude to that running, running back room. I know when the season started for the Broncos is a bit of a rough go. They they went 0-4 before winning back-to-back games against the Chargers and the Titans. It's the first season for Vic Fangio as the head coach. What do you think was the key to really turning things around for the Broncos this year and, and overcoming some adversity early on? Uh, it was sort of a strange start to the season. The Broncos lost on Monday Night Football in Oakland, and then they lost on a last-second field goal to the Bears. So then, you know, they were 0-2, and... You know, you heard all these statistics about how 0-2 teams don't make the playoffs and that sort of thing. And then once they became 0-4, I think they just said, let's forget about, you know, what's at the end of the season and that type of thing. Just focus on a week-to-week type of thing. They were able to win two games in a row, but really this whole season has been a roller coaster for them. Uh, Joe Flacco gets injured against the Colts. He's done for the season, and then they, they didn't feel like Drew Locke was quite ready enough to go right after that. Uh, Locke hurt his thumb in the preseason, so he had been on IR for the whole time. So then they they start Brandon Allen. He beat the Browns, uh, and they were able to get something rolling a little bit. Then they go on the road, lose two games. They start Drew Locke, and then they have a big win against the Chargers. So it's it's really been this up-and-down season. The one constant throughout all of that, though, has been the defense. This Broncos defense is, is pretty tough. They're top five in a lot of categories. Um, and they're the, that's the side of the ball that's really been keeping the Broncos in some of these games. On the offensive side of the ball, they haven't been able to score more than 24 points all season. So um, that's been an area where they keep getting to 14, 20 points or so, and then the offense just stalls out. So um, the defense has been the side of the ball that's really been keeping the Broncos around all season long. It's even more impressive considering uh, early on in the season the Broncos lost Bradley Chubb for the year. Who really stepped up in his place, and how can you replace a guy like that that's just so talented as a pass rusher? Yeah, there was so much expectations for Bradley Chubb this season, especially because of what Vic Fangio was able to do last year with Khalil Mack in Chicago. The expectations were through the roof for him, similar body type to Khalil Mack, and you know, the bookends there with Bradley Chubb on one side and Von Miller on the other side. They thought that those two were just going to put up huge numbers this season. And, you know, when Chubb went down, that was such a shock to the locker room. And then um, they've really been doing it by committee, replacing his side of the ball. Uh, They have an undrafted free agent in Malik Reed. He stepped up as a rookie. He's played some big minutes down the stretch. Uh, Justin Hollins is a rookie out of Oregon. They've had him in there, and they've just sort of cycled through guys, through guys at that spot, trying to get some uh, some sacks or some QB pressures there. And on the other side of the ball, Von Miller has not put up the huge numbers that we've expected. You know, he's had double-digit sacks in the last, I think it's five years straight, um, not been able to quite get back to that level um, so far this season. He missed a game last week against the Chargers, and, his status for this this upcoming game against the Texans is really up in the air. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Vaughn Miller because it seems like he never misses any games. It's been years since he's missed a game. Uh, also, defensive end Derek Wolf went down with the elbow injury. What can you tell us about his status? Uh, looks like he may be done for the season. Is that correct? 
Yeah, uh, Vic Fangio said that Derek Wolf most likely done for the season. He dislocated his elbow on such a fluke play. It was a false start by the Chargers, and uh, half the guys were still playing. They didn't hear the whistle, and a, a teammate rolled up in, into him. He fell over, hurt his elbow. Um, so he is done for the season. I don't think he's going to need surgery, but uh, for Derek Wolf personally, this was the final year of his contract, so his future in Denver is sort of up in the air right now. As for Von Miller, he has played in 91 consecutive regular season games. He had a long streak, uh, 95 games, including the playoffs. So um, that was a surprise to see him not be able to go last week. Uh, he's dealing with a bit of a knee injury. He went out there during uh, pregame warmups and tried to test it out and ultimately decided, hey, uh, it's not worth it. Um, Fangio on Monday said that he thinks that he'll be able to play this week, but uh, he was not able to uh, say that with 100% certainty. Uh, a reporter asked him if surgery was going to be needed, um, and he said he didn't think so. So uh, sort of up in the air right now. And, in fact, I think that the last time uh, Von Miller missed a game, it was because he tore his ACL, and that happened the last time the Broncos played a regular season game in Houston. Yeah, well, I thought that was, what, 2013 or so? 2013, yeah, toward the end of the season. That was the game when uh, Peyton That was Manning. the Peyton Manning game. I was there. Yeah, exactly, yeah. That, that's a season yeah. to forget. But, yeah, wow, that's amazing. 95 straight <laughs> games for Vaughn Miller. Yeah. Tremendous. All right, let's talk about Kareem Jackson. How has he adjusted to life in Denver? I see that he's continued his success with KJAC TV over there. Uh, what what do Broncos fans like about seeing KJAC out there? Yeah, KJAC has been a, a tremendous addition to the locker room. All the guys love his veteran presence. Uh he he's just a funny guy in the locker room. We yeah we tried to keep we stole the K Jack from you guys. Um, really funny guy in the locker room, and then out on the field, a serious no nonsense kind of guy. Uh, at least he has been so far here in Denver because he doesn't miss tackles. He brings a physical presence there, and uh, you know the one game he missed for the Broncos this season uh, against the Jaguars, Leonard Fournette ran for more than 200 yards, and uh, you plug him back in the next week, and the running game goes away. So uh, he's been tremendous. Uh, the safety position in Sanjio's scheme is so important. They have to come up and stop the run. They play deep. They get a lot of freedom to operate. And uh, he's really helped out his fellow safety and Justin Simmons. Simmons is having a career season this year. And uh, I think a lot of that has to do with just what K-Jack has been able to bring to that, that secondary. I'm glad to see he's having success uh, on TV. We've continued his legacy with B-Scar TV with Brennan Scarlett. So uh, okay. all's well that ends well. And uh, two former <laughs> two <laughs> two players facing former teams this week, Bradley Roby facing the Broncos and Kareem Jackson facing uh, the Texans for the first time in their career. Should be interesting. Yeah, uh, we talked to Justin Simmons uh, today, and he was saying that uh, Jack was uh, got up in front of the uh, – and said, okay, here's some of these guys' tendencies. Here's what to look for. So, you know, I'm sure that happens everywhere when uh, you're facing your former team. And, yeah, Bradley Roby, we miss him around here. He was a great guy. Of course, he was part of the no-fly zone secondary when the Broncos went on and won Super Bowl 50. So uh, I saw that he had a big game last week against the Patriots, an interception and a sack. So uh, I'm sure he'll be hungry to face his former team, too. Boy, he's dead on. Bradley Roby has been fantastic for us, the former Bronco. Of course, you got Kareem Jackson, the former Texan, that the Texans offense will have to face. Be an interesting day for those two gentlemen, for sure. All right, we get back. It's time to talk Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl. 
with the GM of Lodestar Sports Entertainment, David Fletcher, coming up after the break. Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, Paul Nelson Southern reporter for your Houston Texans. I am joined now because we're, we could talk Texans. When my friend David Fletcher comes by, that means we are talking about the Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl, and it's coming soon. Fletch, I feel the excitement. You sitting five feet away from me, brother. How are you feeling? I'm feeling excited, Johnny. You are right on, man. Um, it's, a, it's a great time of year, man. It's the most yep. wonderful time of the year, as, it the, is. as the great ESPN commercials have put in our heads for years and years. It's bowl season. We're right around the corner, and we're excited about uh, this weekend because we're going to find out who's going to play in this year's Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl on Friday, December 27th, now, right here. The, I'm going to ask you this question, and you, you don't have to say what you want to happen, but do you watch Championship Weekend hoping certain things happen to maybe put certain teams in position to come to the bowl? Do you have that, or you just kind of watch it and as a college football fan and just let the chips fall where they may? I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm definitely a little bit of both. You know, yeah. I'm going to go the middle road there. Right. I mean, certainly, you know, um, there, there are matchups this weekend. still a lot of football left to be mm-hmm. played definitely impacts how things shake out for us in Houston. But at the end of the day, it's just fun to see, you know, these great teams. They've played all regular season long. Now we've got a chance to kind of crown our first round of champions and yeah. and see how it plays out uh, on the CFP side and, and beyond. So, you know, for us, um, we, we definitely have an eye on it. But um, control what we control. We're just going to have some fun, watch some great football this weekend. Now, for those people that sometimes pay attention, sometimes don't, but may not be totally clued into how it actually works. You have the Big Twelve and the SEC, which is a tremendous matchup to have. How do the bowl? How do the teams get selected for the bowl? How does it happen? Because I know I I know how it goes, but I know the fans are probably listening. Well, well, you pick this one, you pick that one, right? You get the matchup you want. It isn't quite like that. How does it work? Not quite that way. You know, it's almost. Um Nowhere close to that way, but right. <laughs> but right. it is but it is you know for us a great opportunity to have as you mentioned Big Twelve and SEC the two uh, two elite conferences two uh, very geographically regional conferences and uh, two of the best in the country so you know for us on the Big Twelve side we have a selection uh, here in Houston that is the third selection after the New Year's Six games including the CFP so your Final Four mm-hmm. after those are slotted. The Alamo Bowl, the Valero Alamo Bowl in San Antonio, the Camping World Bowl in uh, Orlando, and then the Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl get to select their teams on the Big 12 side. Um, so that's pretty cut and dry. Yeah. You look at the board, you see who's there, you move forward. On the SEC, it's a little bit different. The same process with the uh, New Year's Six games, the uh, the CFP, they pick their teams, the, the Citrus Bowl in Orlando. Yeah then selects the next team. And then our game here in Houston joins five other games where the conference selects the participant. And that's based on a variety of things, matchups and uh, geography and previous histories and rivalries and everything else. They just kind of look at the pie and they take input from us. They take input from the schools. and They try and put together a puzzle as best they can. So it's a little bit different, a little bit more nerve-wracking for us on the SEC side because we're we're just sitting here like everybody else waiting to see what we get. Yeah, exactly. So you have – Input on the Big 12 side. To, I mean, I'm sure you have input on the SEC side, but it's just a, it's a different animal. Because I think a lot of people hear about the bowl and they think, well, 
you're selecting this and you're selecting that. It's like, eh, not, not quite sparky. Just hang on. So, I mean, you, it, it's a really, it's a really interesting aspect of the bowl, the bowl, whole bowl season to me is that part of it. Obviously, once the CFP gets slotted with those four teams and then the New Year's six bowls, and then at that point, it's like, okay, well, who's got a choice? Who's in the pool? All that kind of stuff. It, it's fascinating to me. So on the Big 12 side, so possibility of teams that could be here. Now, one thing you did say about matchups, because when I think of teams that could be, the Egg Bowl, with how that one ended, Mississippi State <laughs> got bowl eligible. They did. But they played Kansas State. This year, they did. So you can't. Can you put that matchup together? It, it would be highly unlikely. Okay, that's what um, I thought. So it, it is something that they factor in is trying to not have repeats from right. the, from the season or repeats from previous, you know, or most recent years. Right, well, right, right, right. You don't want to send a team to the same place um, if if the system allows it. But certainly with the selection, we do have some say in how that works out. And right. So, you know, when you look at the Big 12, you've got a great matchup this Saturday morning, Baylor and Oklahoma, the rematch uh, up in Dallas. Um, it's always you know, a rematch. I, I think those two – yes, it is. It is. Uh, I think those two are going to put on a heck of a show. Don't feel we're going to have any opportunity for either one of them. It's just yeah. not a reality, right? Yeah, so, I don't think so. Um, but stay tuned. Your Baylor Bears are going to be back here to start the 2020 season right here at NRG Stadium. And we'll talk more about that down the road uh, as they face the Ole Miss Rebels. On, on, the, on the rest of the conference, you've got a really kind of a logjam for the remaining six teams that were, um, that were eligible this year. You got Texas, you got Kansas State, you got Oklahoma State, and you got Iowa State. Right. So, you know, each of those have, have their strengths and their weaknesses for each of the matchups. Um, as I mentioned, once those. Um, CFP games are selected, and we see what's left in the pool. Um, that's when the selections start to, to play out. So uh, I look at that board. Uh, it's certainly possible that the, the loser of the, um, the Big 12 championship game could be left out. Um, and if so, they'll enter that, that, uh, that ranking as well. But I think we're really seeing that the most likely scenario is four teams could potentially be available to us. Mm-hmm. And you've got some great, great teams there, great brands between – uh, those four, and so um, really excited to see how that plays out. Um, and um, and I think any way you, sh- you shake it up, it's going to be a lot of fun to see what the, one of those four teams has on the field. Now, those teams that you mentioned, Kansas State, Texas, those two have both been here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Iowa State has I was I don't think Iowa State's been here. Iowa State has not been to the to the Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl. They have not been here. Having Matt Campbell here would be very very interesting. That's and a really interesting football team to watch. It's a great team to watch, Matt, and, and uh, congratulations to him. An extension yesterday, yep. and and uh, great work by Jamie Pollard and um, the Iowa State administration. You know he he's built an unbelievable machine up there in Ames, uh, a team that was in every single game this year. Yeah, every oh single goodness. game that they lost. Um, and, uh, you know, it would be exciting to, to see them here. Uh, last year they were back in Texas at the Valero Alamo Bowl. Right. So, you know, Iowa State um, has not been here. Oklahoma State has not been here either. They, they played right. They yeah. played in the, uh, in the kickoff game in 2013 against Mississippi State. And Dak Prescott. Yep. And Dak Prescott, but um, have not been to the Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl. So, Interesting. You know, at 8-4, they finished in the top 25 of the final regular season ranking yesterday at 25. Um, and a team that, um, you know, Mike Gundy's been, been around the block for a long, long time. Done a great job building that brand up. A tremendous amount of Cowboys in yeah, yeah. In, uh, in the drivable parts. So a team that um, high powered, fun to watch, and uh, 
and uh, got a lot of people around here. That's that's something that uh, certainly is something that piques our interest. Well, we don't have to dive deep in this. This is a weird question, but it got me thinking because I – I'd like to see Oklahoma State here because I want to see Chuba Hubbard up close. Yeah. How about would that? you ever pick a bowl game? And I know there's a lot of reasons why you would pick a team on the Big 12 side to be in there. Would you ever pick it based on a player? Like you want to see that player in this game? I know I would like to see Chuba Hubbard, so I'd have to like step out of the room while you picked it because I'd be like, <laughs> Fletch, pick Oklahoma State. I want Hubbard here. Would you ever do that for a player? Well, I think it's hard to just, uh, especially in a sport like football, to yeah. just tie it back to one player. I mean, we've had some great Great oh, players in this game from yeah. you know the Leonard Fournette's, the Patrick the, Mahomes, the, Patrick Mahomes, the Jamal Adams, mm-hmm. uh, you know Drew Locke, who we're going to see this weekend. Yep, uh, only threw for about 400 yards the last time he was in this building. So yeah. I know uh, Romeo you better Brunel, not do that again. I know, <laughs> I know Romeo is, is looking at that and uh, probably got that tape up to see what he can can dissect from that. But uh, just a lot of great players have been here in this game, and and that's a that's a big part of our tradition. So yep. you know we'll we'll have a lot of great players regardless of the matchup. Certainly exciting when you talk about certain ones like Chuba Hubbard. That that would be fun to see on a, on a Friday night here in Houston. Okay, let's go to the SEC side. The teams that are in the mix. I mentioned Mississippi State. I would think they're, they could be in the mix. It feels like with the SEC, it's maybe a little bit more uh, – tenuous isn't the right word, but because you could have – you won't have two teams in the CFP, I would imagine. I don't think there's any way LSU and Georgia get in, I don't think. Oh, I dis- but Georgia you could. Wins, I don't know how that – If Georgia wins close, I mean, yeah, maybe LSU is the one that falls to four. I don't know. I guess maybe it depends on how that goes. So maybe they do get – so my point with that is if the Big 12 gets a team in, it's only going to be one team in the CFP. If they get another team in the New York, they would get two there. The SEC, it feels like, well, you could have – Possibly two in the CFP, and then a few others you're going to get in New Year's Six. It feels like it's a little bit more kind of up in the air on the SEC side, but what are the teams that you're looking at potentially being here to oppose those Big 12 squads? Well, I think you start with who won't be here. I think we're, we're, we're very confident that, that LSU, Georgia, uh, and Florida, they're all yeah. based on their ranking and the, and the great seasons they've had. That they, they look to be prime candidates Probably for not. those New Year's Six games. Um, you know, Alabama and Auburn just had a heck of a game last mm-hmm. weekend. Um, be interesting to see how the championship weekend plays out, right. the fate for those schools. Um, so then you start looking at who's left. And um, you've got uh, a group of Kentucky, Tennessee, Mississippi State, as you mentioned, and uh, the fight in Texas Aggies, Texas A&M. So mm-hmm. we, we, we think that those four, you know, again, not having a selection, but, but based on the conference's decision, are the four most likely – plus whoever else works out based on how the, the, the weekend plays out. Yeah. Um, so when you start looking at those teams, you know, Kentucky and Tennessee, you know, SEC East teams, both 7-5, yep. and five, um, finished strong on both sides. Um, you know, it's been interesting to see what Jeremy Pruitt's been able to do. He was all yep. but fired week six, uh, he's you know. Gone. He's and, gone. And yet they, they stormed back at 6-1, and one, big wins over both Kentucky and Mississippi State, among others. So uh, be interesting to see where they land. Um, Mississippi State, the Egg Bowl, Quite an interesting finish to that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Joe Moorhead is yep. uh, is fired up to, to get into the bowl uh, season again. And, um, you know, they're a team that's been to Houston before, playing yep. Oklahoma State in the kickoff game in 2013. Uh, and then, of course, the Texas Aggies, you know, and, and what A&M's been able to do under Jimbo Fisher. They continue to build that program. Uh, of course, have uh, a long history of playing uh, great events here in Houston and a lot of Aggie alums right here in the area. Yep. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I mean, when you look at at, at A&M in particular, I know that's that's certainly something that uh, has come up a lot this week. I mean, 
Their five losses were to all top ten teams, right? Yeah. <laughs> and how many so, of them did they play that were either one or two in the country? It's crazy. I mean, at least three of them, Alabama, Georgia, uh, Alabama Clemson, LSU. Georgia was number four, four. when they played them. Yeah, yeah. So. And then the fifth loss was to Auburn at home. I mean, Alabama. Alabama. Oh, uh, yeah, Auburn and Alabama. Sorry, you're right. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, but, yeah. I mean, they lost to you know top 11 teams. I, I think for – and having you know been on Texags uh, for how many years I have – Losing to LSU, I think fans, I think Aggies were kind of like, okay, we didn't really expect them to go in. We didn't expect them to lay a 50-7 to egg either. But if you watch A&M all year, you realize Jimbo's done really good things with that program week in and week out. Yes, lost to Clemson, lost to Alabama. If you get maybe a call to go your way, you got a shot against Georgia at Georgia in the rain, but it didn't. And then, of course, you ran into the bus out of LSU. That I, I, I have a feeling that game for LSU was circled all year after 74-72 <laughs> the year before. I'm just listening to the LSU players. That burned a hole in them, I think, all offseason. They lost that seven-overtime game in 2018. But the benefit of having A&M, I won't even say and, A&M or Texas in the bolt, just given the proximity of those teams. You know, Having a team like Baylor here last year, the proximity to geography – how much does that play into uh, for you, Fletch? It's a great factor. I mean, we are the Texas Bowl, right? right. Um, no question. And and hey, you said it. We would absolutely love A and M versus versus uh, Texas. There, right. There's no question that that would be a great rivalry to to see renewed and um, two great uh, institutions in our state. We don't have control over that. Sure. The SEC ultimately um, is is uh, selecting who comes to our game, and so. Um, Putting that aside, though, anytime you can't have a Texas team, it's it's a great boost for for our game. Um, certainly welcome the opportunity, though, to see some of the great teams around the country from other parts. Yep. You know, we've had Vanderbilt, we've had Missouri, yep. we've had Kansas State, um, had Arkansas. So, you know, I think those are all. Um, that, that's what's so much fun about this event is it's a true celebration of the culture, heritage, and football tradition. You get all these people traveling in to our community during a period where there typically isn't a whole lot going on mm-hmm. and they're brought around the table by football yeah. and music. And, and sure. you know, I, I know, I know many of the fans today, I saw it on social media. We're excited to see our Carbach love street text fest artist. We announced it today. Casey it Donahue band coming go. to NRG stadium to kick off the festivities on the 27th prior to the game. So you've got football, you've got music, you've got food, drinks, all the great uh, passion and pageantry of college football underneath the Friday night lights right here at NRG. Yeah, no doubt. It's shaping up to be one of, uh, if not our best game ever, and we're incredibly excited. Tickets are on sale, so yes. you know you don't want to miss best out way on to opportunity. AcademyTexasBowl.com. You want to get them this week. Right. Prices go up on Saturday, so get in now. Come out here. It's one of the best, best events we do in this community each and every year. Uh, a true celebration of college football. And, and let's not forget, Houston is a pretty darn good place for college football. Yep. The recruiting aspects, all the alums, and that championship game coming here in 24, we're building our way up to it. Uh, it would not be possible without the continued support of this community and, and everything they do to support college football. So um, if you're a fan of one of the schools that end up here, that's awesome. We're looking forward to hosting you. If you're not and you just love college football, no better place to be than NRG Stadium, and it'll be a big weekend for us because we got Titans huge on Sunday weekend. too. Yeah, so huge. Weekend. Why not get it kicked off in the right way? I know Sunday we'll be busy, not only with our Texans getting the W yep. as they face the Broncos, but um, 
mid-afternoon, we'll be announcing our, our selections and our participants for this year's game. Yeah, so you definitely want to be tuned in for that. I have rem- I remember in years past, Mark has announced during the game what the game actually is. So you definitely want to be listening to the radio broadcast if you don't, because you'll get that. And then I believe either you or Jamie talking after the game, speaking of that, or during the game. We'll be available as much as y'all want to listen to us. Absolutely. There you go. There you go. I can't wait. I I mean, you know how I feel about bowl season, Fletch. I absolutely love it. I know you guys, um, this this is what you do. It's what you live for. This is such a marquee event for Lone Star Sports Entertainment. And you guys do a hell of a job with it. And every team that's come here, when I run into those people down the road, whether it's SEC Media Days or even at the Combine, you know, I see people that played in that bowl game and they're like, man, that was fun. You know, that was such a great time. And last year, with all the bowl games that there were, the best bowl game all year that was not a CFP or even a New Year's Day 6, and you were probably better than those games, was the one you had right here with Baylor and Vanderbilt. And look where Baylor is now. That's exactly right. I was talking look with where Matt, Baylor is now. talking with Mac Rhodes and Matt Rule a couple weeks ago, and, and that's exactly what they said. The win here in Houston was a catalyst for mm-hmm. their success. You know, it just makes everybody feel that much better in the offseason. Yep. You've got that story for recruits. You've got an opportunity to play on a big stage, and you can talk about what you're doing and how you're building. I mean, we saw it with Texas two years ago, and then they went into the Sugar Bowl last year. You're seeing it with Baylor this year. Um, you know, that, that's a great part about the, the college football postseason is that, you know, there's a lot of teams out there that will um, use this as a catalyst for even better, uh, better, better seasons next year. Yep. And, um, you know, we're excited about this year. AcademyTexasBowl.com. Get your tickets now before they go up. Uh, prices go up on Saturday. And uh, tune in right here to um, Texans Radio on Sunday afternoon. Absolutely. And uh, we'll find out who's going to be joining us come December 27th. That's going to be fun. Fletch, appreciate you, brother. A huge show this evening. A big thanks to David Fletcher, to Mark Vandermeer, to Dave Logan, to my buddy Andre Ware, of course our pal Clint Sterner, D.P. Sidhu, Phil Milani, all of you for listening. Thank you so much. We will see you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans.